if you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 8. This is the last message in John chapter 8. It is one of the most intense portions of the scripture. It started in the middle of chapter 7 with Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles and the Jewish religious authorities are absolutely lambasting him. To know that Jesus Christ is God of glory and to hear what the words were said against him absolutely just makes you tense up every time. To know that the people that I meet with on a regular basis blaspheme Jesus Christ absolutely just sends shockwaves through my body. To know, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the most worthy of all the beings in the universe. There's no one like him. It's not just that he is the bully that beats us up and makes us uh, say nice things about him. There is no one like Jesus. He is the one that of all the beings in the universe deserve to be king. But he is king. And he is kinder than anyone has ever imagined. And for people to hate him more and more and more just shows who people are. It shows people who people are. This passage, which is that fine, final passage of eight, um, you have to realize that verse 44 last week was probably the top of the crescendo. The top of the crescendo was that Jesus looks at the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the religious leaders of Jerusalem. So these are the very highest leaders of the, of the religion. And says, you who claim to be speaking for God are in fact the children of the devil. That you are, your religion is satanic. Now, that is amazing because you stop and say, this is Judaism. Judaism is the religion of the Jews who follow the real God. And the religion was, all of it was written by God. The, the, new, the, the Old Testament, every word was breathed by God. He's the one that commanded the law. He's the one that commanded the sacrifices. He's the one that established the priesthood. He's the one who, who's done it all. But the people who are in leadership have nothing to do with him. That it is actually taking real things and being wicked with God's real things. It, it's absolutely breathtaking. When you stand back and see what they're saying, the blasphemes that they are making against Jesus Christ, who has done nothing but speak the truth to them. And it gets madder and madder and madder. I don't know if you've ever had a fight that turned into a fight. Okay? It starts off very civilly. Okay? You're talking about an idea, or you're talking about some position that you have, and somebody else has another position, and you're debating. And you say something, and then they say something, and then you say something, and then they say something, and then you can't think of anything to say, so you get mad. And your blood pressure rises, and your face gets hot, and then you get all flustered, and you start bumbling and mumbling, and then it makes you mad, because now you're embarrassed and mad. So now what you do is you attack the person. You're ugly. Oh, yeah? Your mother's ugly. Then what happens is when that goes to nothing, then you raise back your fist. This is how men work. This is the way men work. And Jesus Christ is in a dispute that will raise fists. But I need you to know, and I need you to think of this from the very beginning, 
Jesus Christ is not one of the boys. Jesus Christ is not a schoolyard kid that is, a, that is confronting a bully and having to talk back to that bully. Jesus Christ is God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and the maker of these men, the writer of the Bible, and the former of volcanoes and stars and galaxies. This is God, and God does not go down on anybody's level. You do not argue with a small child. You do not debate with a small child. You command a small child, and you cajole a small child, and you do it in a sweet way. But there is a leader and there's a follower. And this is not peers talking to each other. Even though these people are the top of the top. These are people who never, ever had a thing ever questioned. Anything they ever said was, yes, sir, yes, sir, right now, sir. And these are the people who think that they're talking to a gutter bum who is in their way, and it's a, a fly to be squashed. So they are, they are the ones who, when, when, when Jesus says, I'm going and you can't find me, I'm going to a place you can't find me, the first thing that came into their mind, this is from two weeks ago, he must want to kill himself because then he'll go to hell and we won't be able to find him because we're all going to heaven. These are, these are the people who are so twisted that they're not in any way following God, but thinking that they are going. They think they're the only ones, and that they're talking to God Almighty, but they do not recognize that they're talking to God, even though that they can't touch what he says. He's, he's unmatchable in his logic. He's unmatchable in his knowledge of the Bible, and he speaks with authority. And instead, they want to kill him. So from chapter 7 to chapter 8, you're going to see Jesus say, you want to kill me, multiple, multiple, multiple times. And it's actually been since chapter 5. He heals someone on the Sabbath day, and that immediately gets the hall monitors all up in arms because they gag at gnats and swallow camels. That's what happens. They are wanting to be mean because someone is doing something wrong, and I'm going to see to it that they do it right. And so Jesus basically tells him that he is God, and it furiates them, and then he leaves. Now, they want to kill him right there, but he can't because it's not his time. John will say over and over again, they want to take him, but it was not his time. The time will not come for six more months at the next festival of the Jews when all come for the Passover, and the Passover lamb is slaughtered, on a Friday evening, right before twilight, and that is when Jesus will die on the cross. And so it's not going to happen until. But when you see Jesus saying something like, you're the son of the devil, it, if you're not careful, you'll think that they're simply bickering back and forth and back and forth. That they say something mean and then Jesus says something mean, and then they say something mean and Jesus says something mean. It doesn't work that way. If Jesus ever says something that I think of as mean to me, right? I told you, we read 23 of Matthew, which is one of the most scathing accounts that Jesus ever speaks. It is one speech, and it is one lambast after another. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. So you have wealth, you have weal and woe. Weal is good things to you. Woe is it can't be worse for you. And he says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, because of who you are. What is true of you, you don't even know what's true of you. 
Let me tell you, when Jesus speaks to me firmly, it is out of love, I promise. Unless you are a child abuser, you never raise your voice to a child in retaliation. Unless you're simply being a little infant yourself. If you are in charge of someone that you are fostering, that you are caring for, and you need to be firm, your firm words are loving. Of all the things that need to be said, that needs to be said. It needs to come into their mind. It needs to become part of them. And if they do not, if you just sweet-talk them all the way to hell, you can. And there have been lots of people sweet-talked all the way to hell. Jesus is going to talk back to them. And when Jesus says, you are a children of the devil, it is to prompt a reaction. It is to prompt an absolute electrification. Jesus is not bickering like a little child. He is the one in control here. Now, you'll see the blasphemies. So as I go through this, we're going to go from 48 through 59. As I go through it, I see a repeat, repeat, repeat. They are going to blaspheme him. The most horrible blasphemies that you can imagine. It just sends chills down you. What they accuse Jesus of being and, and, and having and doing. Then Jesus is going to speak truth. Because that's what God does. God did not have to save this world. He chose to reveal himself to this world. All of us were lawbreakers and all of us should be condemned. It, there was no mercy required for God to be a wonderful, wonderful person. He did not need to show us mercy. There is something overwhelmingly loving in the heart of God that he would look at his very enemies and treat them with the most kindness required. But I promise, sometimes the most, the most grace that Jesus has ever done to me is speak very firmly to me. And this is what Jesus is doing. He will speak truth. And then, as we honor and love our Savior, watch him give a gracious invitation to each of these horrible people. He's going to speak truth, unflustered, un, no red face. His ears aren't hot like my ears get. His ears never got hot. And he will speak the most beautiful invitations of grace to the most wicked people in the nation. And then at the very end, he's going to hide himself. Because there will be a day that grace stops. You have to know that. There will be a day. This is a day of grace, but there will not always be a day of grace. So I just want you to see as we wrap up this amazingly, I mean, this is a roller coaster of emotion, this chapter. In fact, lots of people don't like it because it's too height. It's too heightened. It's too much like this. You feel embarrassed. You're, you don't want Jesus to say mean things. You don't want every, you want everybody to play nice. You want everything to be, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I promise the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. And the reason why the Lord is our shepherd and shall not want is because he took hell for his damned people. That's why the Lord can be your shepherd. The Lord can love you with an everlasting love that will never, ever end. Because he tor was tormented with all of the, the sinners against him. The way you would have sinners against you, and I promise, if they hated him, they will hate you. They will hate you. But I promise that you can look into this world with hope because Jesus overcame the world. That's what he says. So let's look at it. This is God's word starting in chapter 8 of John, starting at verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said, 
Say we not that thou have a, thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judges. Verily, verily, I say to you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know you have a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, uh, and you are saying, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who maketh yourself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my, my honor is nothing. It's my father that honors me, of whom you say that he's your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like you are. But I do know him, and I keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing what we just saw. You have to realize that Jesus did not leave the glories of heaven to spar and bicker with people. No. He was the teacher here. He is God here. He is speaking as God is speaking. And he is not afraid. He already knows that he needs to go to the cross. In fact, he has set his jaw upon it. And the Bible says his heart, is he delights in it. For the joy that was set before him, he despised the cross. The joy that he knew would happen. He already had joy. Jesus was not going to be elevated in any way that he was not already elevated. He came in an act of mercy to the very camp of the enemy to steal the enemy's prize. The enemy's, he, he ransacked the enemy's camp and took his hostages away. The hostages, by the way, that were not innocent and not God-loving and God-fearing. Every one of us have been fouled to the very bone and deserve everything that God would give us in judgment. But he came to, to the cross for us. It is for God's glory that Jesus died on the cross, but it is for our sakes that Jesus died on the cross. We'll never, never forget that. It will be hallelujah on our tongue forever, ever, because... We know something. God has told us something that he has not told others. And that is what we have been freed from. He, we're saved with, the, with not even the slightest understanding of what we've done. God, I repent. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he takes that. He takes it. And then he shows you what he forgave you from. And then you'll tremble. You'll tremble when you know what you would have gotten. But we'll never, never see. You will never see death. Brothers and sisters, you'll never see death. Now, 
We'll look at that in a second because Jesus Christ himself is going to die. Jesus Christ, but Jesus never saw death. And we will never see it. We will never know to be thrown away. We'll never know what it's like to be cast away. We'll never know what it's like to pay forever for our sins. It'll never happen for us. In fact, we can't even conceive of it. All we know is that what God has done for us is glorious and that we owe him everything. And God has a people for his son that will marry his son and everything about those people are towards his son. There is nothing that Jesus Christ could ask me that I would not do. I love him. And he did that. He did that in our hearts. And that is what we do when we meet together. We meet together to glorify Jesus Christ on earth. And we are on earth in this house. And that's what we do. We we raise Jesus up. And we tell each other what Jesus has done for us. And we encourage each other when we're failing and we're faulting and we're afraid and we're wobbly. And we tell the ones who are fraudulent among us, and we tell the ones who we've never seen before what in the world God has done for us that we don't understand. But in some way, we owe him everything. So so let's look at it. This This is verse 48. Here's the first blasphemy that I see in this passage. Then answered the Jews and said to him, Shall we not well say that you are Samaritan and has the devil? You can almost see the honey and the poison drip off of their tongues with something so snide and so awful as that. So I suppose calling someone a Samaritan was like as worst as you could get. It's that idea that you're, that you're a false teacher, that you're a nobody, that, you're, that you have no hair. You're not even a pure Jew, that you're, that you're some kind of a, a, a charlatan that's come at you, that you're not even, you know, if you would doubt that we are from God, then obviously you're from somewhere else. You know, that's the idea, that you're a Samaritan. By the way, this is the only time in the scriptures that Jesus was called a Samaritan. He, was, he, he many times was, was called uh, that he had a devil. We're going to see that several times. Yeah. Um, Matthew eleven eighteen. they said it of John the Baptist. I just thought, thought that was interesting. That they said it of John the Baptist. There was nobody that didn't think John the Baptist was a prophet. But Jesus says, this is Matthew eleven eighteen, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a devil. So it's almost like the mark of the world to call good, bad, and up, down, and back, front. It's just the way the world works. So when someone is coming from God and they actually have your best effort in mind, that they love you, really, um, those are the ones you hate. Those are the ones who are haters. Those are the ones, one day, that there will be wooden put on these windows. One day, because we're all haters here. But, but haters, what does haters mean? Does haters mean say nice things to you till you got, die and go to hell? I'm sorry, that's not a hater. Until they haul me off. You have to tell people what God has said, because that's their only hope. That's the only way of truly loving someone. There is not love unless God meets them in mercy. And God meets them in mercy according to the gospel. And the gospel isn't what you want it to be. The gospel is what God made it to be. And so Mark three twenty two, the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, this is of Jesus, he hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils he casts out devils. 
What a mean thing to say. By the way, Jesus completely chopped them to pieces. He goes, oh, yeah, a house against itself would fall. If one side of the house is fighting against the other side of the house, do you think the house is going to stand? If Satan is trying to conquer Satan, do you not think Satan would be, would be disbanded? Do you think by me casting out devils, I'm helping the devil? First of all, that's stupid. But it's just mean. It's the idea, I can't do anything about it, so I'm going to call you the worst thing I can call you. Oh, you're doing this by the power of the devil, by the way. And, and you know, the Samaritans, the Samaritans were these half-breed. Is when In chapter 17 of Second Kings, we're going to see that all of the Jews are going to be hauled away in Israel. And whatever's left is going to intermarry, and it's all wobbly. And Jesus came to the Samaritan first. He was his first convert. I just think that is absolutely marvelous. The lady at the well in Samaria was the very first person that knew the joys of the Messiah being here. So Jesus is no racist. He's no racist at all. So he's not flustered. They're trying to get him flustered, you see? It's, it's, a, it's a game. It's a, it's a game. In fact, when you're, t- when you're taught to debate... That's part of what you're taught. You're trying to see, you get, them, you get them down and you get them flustered so that they will mess up. It's part, it's part of the rules. Jesus isn't flustered. This is John eight forty nine, second verse. Jesus answered, I don't have a devil, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. So he doesn't snap back. He just tells them the truth. He just makes a true statement. And that true statement could sink in and do something. See, I already told him in chapter 5, if you dishonor me, you're actually dishonoring God. You cannot honor God and dishonor the Son. You can't think that you're honoring God by dishonoring the Son. Jesus is going to tell his disciples later, they're going to put you to death and think that they're doing God a favor. Not realizing that you're the one chosen of God and that they are bound for hell. They are going to punish you as the blasphemer when you're the blasphemer. You have to realize the only hope that I ever had of heaven is that Jesus was crucified as a blasphemer because he took my penalty and the penalty of my sin was that I blasphemed against God. And Jesus Christ said, I'll forgive every blasphemy against the Son of Man. You blaspheme me. You use my name as a filthy word. How many will be in heaven that will have, have the memory of a foul filthy word of the name of Jesus, as though it was a curse, as though it was the worst thing that you could possibly say. And by the way, there isn't any cuss words of other world faiths, only Jesus. Let that sink in a little bit. Nobody says, oh, Buddha. That's silly, because what does that mean? The only reason why that there's power there is because there's power there. But you are blaspheming him. And as you blaspheme him, it does not mean that one day Jesus will not take your sin and die for it. There are many, many sons of glory that will have blasphemed Jesus Christ. But he said, you dishonor me, I honor the Father. There's something different between us. I honor God, and you dishonor God by dishonoring me. And we saw that all in chapter 5. This is verse 50. I don't seek my own glory There is one that seeks and judges. You see? The reason why Jesus is truly humble is because Jesus was truly powerful. He had all power. He could do anything at all. The the devil was right. He could have made those stones into bread. There wasn't anything he couldn't have done. 
It was the idea that by doing that, he would have to dishonor God, and he refused. That's the idea. This is First Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You don't exalt yourself. We saw Haziel today in Sunday school. Elisha says, I know that you're going to be king of Syria. So the next thing he does is go and kill the king of Syria so that he can become the king of Syria. Not realizing that if God says you could be king, what would that have meant? If he would have simply trusted God, it would have been like David being king. When he had king, David was king in peace because he let God decide for himself. He humbled himself under God's mighty hand, and God in due time exalted him. That is, that is what Jesus was doing. Jesus allows God to decide. So he doesn't need to win this argument. He doesn't even need to appear to win this argument. He is simply telling them the truth and then offering them save, salvation. So look at this offer. This is for this 51. I could sit here for a month. This is beautiful. It's beautiful because of how dark the rest of it is. It's beautiful because you just saw them blaspheme him. It's beautiful because it's a diamond shining out of darkness. That's why it's beautiful. Look at 51. Verily, verily, I say to you, if a man, and this is, if anyone, if anyone at all, including you, if anyone at all will keep my saying, meaning take what I'm saying and live by it. And what I'm saying is that I'm God who will save you. He's offering himself as their Messiah, their Savior. He's offering them himself as, his, as their God. If you keep my saying, you will never, he, that's the anyone, anybody at all, will never see death. He's offering eternal life to these very blasphemers. Never see death. You have to realize there's two deaths. Jesus will die on the cross. All of us will die. The worms will crawl in, the worms crawl out, and play pinnacle on your snout. But one day, I know, Job said, that though, though the worms destroyed his body, I know yet in my flesh I shall see God. I know that, the, that even though the, the outward man is dying away day by day, anything fall off you today that didn't fall off you yesterday, I've never seen the like of getting old. The idea that it's just like, oh, you don't even, you don't even smile anymore. You're just like, okay, another thing. One day God will replace your, your body worn out with a glorious body. And the heart that he's already saved will still be exactly the same. Always young, but mature. Can you imagine what a joy that will be? Young and mature. To be young and an idiot is not, nobody would really want to go back there. Would you go back knowing you'd repeat all of your crimes again? No, let it go. Let it go, I don't want it. I'm not going to go back just to relive all of my sins. No, but to be young in my heart forever and mature in my mind and godly in my aspect forever. That I would never sin against God ever. That's, that's heaven. That's what heaven will be. The eternal state is God with his people and his people so in love with him that there is just a, a closening relationship that will never, ever stop getting closer. So there is a first death, 
But it's a shadow. That's what David said. It's a shadow of death. What would you rather get? Would you rather get hit by a truck or hit by the shadow of a truck? First death is the shadow of a truck. I tell you, when the sun's shining and you're on the road and the car is casting a shadow into your path and it hits you with full force of what? Nothing. You will close your eyes and wake up in paradise. Or you will suffer the second death, which is death forever death, perpetual and increasing death. And that death will know no end. It will be increasing death forever. And that's what he said. If any man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Now, why doesn't that do what you think it would do? Why doesn't that soften? These people have already hardened themselves to the point of no return. And Jesus, you think, why would Jesus waste his words? Why would he, you know, just save your breath to cool your broth? Why would he even go to the trouble of saying something and offering them something when their heart is so stony that they, he knows that they're not going to do anything? Because Brian reads this Bible. That's why. This is to me. Not every heart on planet Earth is hard as rock. And the ones that are hard, God can soften. He can turn the very stones of the street into the children of Abraham. That's what, that's what he says. So when I look and say, if a man were to keep his saying, if a man were to trust him as Savior and put his whole life in Jesus' keeping, he will not even see death. There won't be anything there. This is 52. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know you have a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, it shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself to be? Who do you think you are? This is the third time they've asked him that, that snarky question. Who do you think you are? Again, it's blasphemy. It's again, it's just a cycle. They blaspheme. Jesus tells them the truth. Jesus answered, this is verse 54. If I honor myself, I, I, my honor is nothing. It's my father that honors me, of whom you say this is your God. But you've not known him, but I've known him. And if I should say I know him not, I'd be a liar like you are. But I know him and keep his saying. They need to know that. They need to know it. Because I can't be saved unless I know the truth. It's the truth that will make me free. But it's God's spirit that allows me to want the truth. The rebirth is what is required. But then I know the truth and the truth liberates me. The things that are true, the things that Jesus says, will outlive this world. And so as he's telling them the truth, they're hating him and blaspheming. He tells them the truth. And then, then you, basically you, you say, what could you do with that truth? What could, what could happen? You have to realize that this is all echoes. That what Jesus said is all echoes of the Old Testament. I pulled this from Isaiah 52. See, it's God who's the one that's, that's honoring Jesus. It's God who's honoring Jesus. I don't really care that you're dishonoring me, except that for you, it means you, it means your doom because you're truly dishonoring God, the God that you claim is yours, but you're dishonoring me. It's God who intends to honor me. This is Isaiah 52. This is right before, this is the end of 52, right before that beautiful chapter, uh, messianic chapter in 
of, of 53. This is 52.13. Behold, my servant will deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and very high. This is God intending to lift Jesus to the very, very heights. Philippians immediately came to mind. This is chapter 2. And being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and give him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and in earth and things under the earth. It's God who intends to honor Jesus. The love story of this Bible is God the Father loving his son. And as we see that and are changed by that, we benefit by that love story because he comes as our Savior. This is back to 56. This is the, remember, we've had blasphemy, we have truth. So the next one is another, another offer, another gracious offer that you're thinking, why would he offer anything gracious to these people? Look at it. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. They just said, Abraham's dead. And you say that, that a person who keeps your saying will never see death. Are you better than Abraham? And he just said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He rejoiced and saw it and was glad. Now, what does that mean? What's his offer? Abraham was told that there would be a place for him. And he went with no faith, with just to go. He didn't know where he was going. God just said, I'm going to show you where you're going. And he believed God. And then he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. A nation will come from you. And kings will come from you. And Abraham just took him at his word. That's all it is. He simply said, God's telling the truth. And he, said, and he took him in chapter 15 and he looked up the stars and he said, count them. If you can count the stars. These are your descendants. All those lights in the sky. These are the ones that will descend from you. And he simply took him at his word. And because of that, he knew that when he looked down in the cradle and saw Isaac, that he named Happy. That's his name. Isaac's name's Happy. He looked down at that little baby and he saw his son. He's 100 years old and he saw his own son. Not his servant, but his own son born of his wife. Not of the slave girl. And he didn't just see Isaac. He saw Jesus. Because he knew that there would be a day that his son, 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 son will be forever the blessing of the whole world. And he looked down on Isaac and in real faith, a simple, real person, looked down and saw Jesus and smiled. And Jesus said, you're so bitter. Would you not want to trade your bitterness for joy? Abraham loved it. He smiled when he thought of me. And you're looking in my face. And you hate my guts. Would you not rather have joy than bitterness? Do you not see that God is acting like God? He's not acting like a nine-year-old. He's acting like God, looking down at a petulant, bratty child and giving him the truth and giving him an offer. It's remarkable. 57, the Jews then said, you're not even 50, and you've seen Abraham? You know what I thought when I read this verse? Jesus must have had a hard life. If they thought he was 30 and they thought he was 50, 
You know, Jesus had a hard life. I was in Romania, and there was a little old lady on the back row. And this old lady was 400 years old. And she was so old that I, that I, I looked at her and was like, oh my goodness, that's the oldest person I've ever seen. She, was, she looked like an apple doll, if you've ever seen an apple doll. So I asked the pastor as we were driving home, I said, who is the lady on the back row? And he was thinking, he was like, well, she lives in the neighborhood. And I said, how old is she? And I was thinking 107, 114. And he said, well, her husband's still alive. I think she's in her 50s. And I said, no, 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 we can't be talking about the same person. And, I, and she, he said, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, she's probably not 60. And I said, oh, my goodness, I thought she was over 100. And he said, Brian, you have to realize people here work very hard, and they have hard lives, and they don't age quite the same as people in America, like, like all you beautiful people. <laughs> Jesus, they thought he was 50 when he was 30. This is our Savior. This is God, our Savior, who lived a hard life for us. But he, he said something to them. He responded to their blasphemy. Before Abraham was, I am. Remember John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That there was a, it, when the beginning started, Jesus was already wasing. He was already there. He was transcendent. He was eternal. In all dimensions. And when Abraham was, God is God always. He's never in a past and in the future. God is always right now. He's in the present. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, while Abraham was, but after Abraham was, I am. And instead of alerting them to the fact that they're speaking to their maker, they took up rocks because they had nothing else to do except to kill him. And then Jesus does a miracle. He disappears. There are 10,000 people in the square, and he simply just evaporates. And no one knows where he is. And he walks right through a crowd of thousands of people, and they, he's gone. There will be a time. This is from Hosea 14, 4, and I'll end. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Let him alone. May God never do that for us. While there's a day, you trust Jesus. You trust him and trust him and trust him and trust him.